Welcome to Everyday Conversations with Everyday People. Today I'm joined by a good and friend I haven't seen in a long time, Madeline. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Madeline, uh, we can kind of go one or two ways with this. Uh, we can talk about any topic you want to, or I've got these 10 uh, conversation starters that we can use and go from there. Um, let's do the conversation starters. Okay, cool. All right, so first one is, if I gave you the aux cord right now, what are you playing? Okay, I think it's going to be AJR. So with ADHD, okay, what is that? It's a band. Okay. okay, and they got really popular on like TikTok and Instagram recently. Um, and with ADHD, you get kind of thought stuck on topics, music, places. And mine's been AJR to the point that I was the top one percent of the listeners at the end of the Spotify. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was kind of mad and I like tweeted it and they didn't respond. I'm like, I am your biggest fan. Like I've listened to you That's over and over again. It's a little disrespectful. Months. I know, right? Um it was kind of slap in the face. And then I saw them at Music Fest actually this year. Okay. But it was so funny. I worked at, I worked at a high school at that time and I saw like half of my students there. There it is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an almost 30 year old over here at a band that their main audience is 18. But it was great. So I'd probably play them or Jude and the Lion because okay, they're kind nice. of a consistent band for me over the years. I got you. I'd say that's uh, is that Rivers and Roads? Is that Jude and the Lion? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I would say that's the only song that I know by Jude and the Lion. Yeah. That's so awesome. those are the two I would go with. Okay. Awesome. I like that. Let's see. Uh, all right. So this has been a new question lately. I took out an older one. Uh, what is a lie you've told? What's the most recent lie you've told? And would you tell it again? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, man, I'm going to start asking my kids that. Well, it's not even, so people immediately go to, I say, like, big lies. Or, like, what was, like, the most biggest lie I've told? That's not, that's, I mean, that's a great start. Like, one for me that I've said multiple times has been, uh, I'm okay, or like yeah. the typical like chit chat of, hey, how are you doing? And yeah. immediately switching to, even if I'm having the shittiest day possible, is like, yeah, I'm doing great, it's fine. And then like, like continue, to walk, continue to like walk off. But it's yeah. become such a uh, habit that it's not helpful because it's just yeah. one of those things where it's like, okay, it's cool you do it to people that necessarily it's hard to say people don't care, but it's just like it will interrupt their day and they don't want to interrupt their days. And then it bleeds over into like when people that are genuinely asking you that question yeah. and you're in such a pace of like, no, I'm fine. Like, I'm okay. So like I've noticed it most with Allison. Yeah. Um, specifically right now is like I've, I don't know if I have like tendonitis or something like in my knee where it's bugged me a little bit because like I've been working out and just different stuff. But it's thrown off my schedule because I'm intentionally not going to workouts in the morning. Yeah. And it throws off my entire day and it throws off my mood and all those different things. And so I was bathing Walker and Allison was like, hey, like, I feel like you're off. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I kept bathing him and she was standing there and like I took a minute. I was like, so my knee isn't like I'm not in pain or anything, but it's bothering me that like I've thrown off my schedule and now it's thrown off my like mental state and I don't know where I am. Uh, so that's where I'm at. So like I'm starting to like yeah, break correct through it, that. but 
like when I was thinking of that question, I was thinking of, yeah, you could say a really big lie or, and people thinking about it like, oh, I say this all the time and I don't mean it. Like, yeah, I think it's funny. I think I've gotten a little bit out of that because most of my friends, most of the people I uh, have spent my last few years with have been counselors. And so they asked me how I am. I'm like, life's rough and I kind of want to cry in the bathroom over there. <laughs> They're like, thanks for sharing. They call me at work dormy because dormoise is hard to pronounce. So they call me. They're like, thank you for sharing dormy. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> I will, I'll ask a quick side note. How many people still try to say like dormois? So, because okay. I, I made the same mistake initially when we not first a met. Lot, but it's because the front desk worker, my last school, and I made the mistake of telling the new front desk worker, told people to remember my name by saying it's like a moist door and you can't unhear that you can't you will never forget how to say my never, name never ever forget a moist and so door. imagine like a kid a teenage boy he's 16 and they're like well can i see miss she's like remember it's like a moist door and then he like blushes and will walk in hey mr moist and i'm like so that's another reason we called me dormy that and mr moist when you say it really quickly, it sounds like Mr. Yeah. Moist. And so they thought I was a man with last name Moist. And so that also was a problem. Nice. Um, so, yeah, not a lot of people mispronounce it anymore. Um, but not for a good reason. Okay, I got you. Um, but I think something I've had to work on is, one, like at work, I think as a professional, I see things I've experienced, like I've experienced working with people with trauma mm-hmm. or different diagnoses and someone asked me if their kid's okay or if something's going on and I lie because I don't think they can handle it yet or um, okay, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that yet because there's part of, there's legal guidelines. Right. Um, and then personally, I've noticed I've been a lot more bold. I think some of my coworkers have helped me with that, but I'll tell the truth and if someone reacts poorly from then on, I'm like, no, yeah. sorry. Um, so I'll tell them like in relationships, like I feel A, B, and C and they're like, well, that's a you problem or blow up. And I'm like, next time they ask me, I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got no. you. Um, I do the same. So that's I know. And, but it kind of sucks because I, one, I think the relationships could handle the truth of the relationships you want. One. That's and two. <laughs> right there. And two, I think sometimes people tell us truth and it plants a seed and they think about it later. Even if they're not ready to hear it at that point, doesn't mean it's not going to sit there and come around later. I mean, there's things that my therapist and my parents have told me over the years. And I was looking at them as like a teenager being like, okay, thanks for sharing. And then now I'm like, oh, that was so wise. And now I have the experience to be like, oh, I'm going to take that to heart. Okay. Um, and... I think when we do that, there's an arrogance to think they can't handle it. I'm making such an assumption about someone that they can't handle it or they're going to be mean or their humanity's so pushed down that they can't be kind in it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm working on it. But I think I tell the truth really boldly. And if I get a bad reaction, I'm like, okay, let's back off. Yeah. Never again. I would say so. Even when telling the, I think there's telling the truth there, but then I would also say, like, in my personality, like, there'll be a conversation I have that, like, it'll hit a string like that of, oh, and I'm like, 
Okay, that's mentally noted. Mm-hmm. That part of my life or that personality that like that side of me just doesn't exist to you. Okay, yeah. cool. Got it. Cool. Like I'll I'm gonna shut this off. I don't want to <laughs> upset you. I'd rather preserve the relationship right. and myself in relationships. So cool. Here we go. <laughs> so I like it just basically like that there are like there are definitely just like levels of just like I know there are like three or four people that I, I could be around in a hundred percent myself yeah. and there's not gonna be like any weirdness and we're all gonna laugh yeah. just because like we all understand each other kind of thing. And I think something I'm trying to shift out of in that is even if I'm not completely vulnerable with them, I'm still the truth. So they might get snippets of the truth. So like Joanna, who's my best friend in the entire world, might get everything. Mm-hmm. I might tell her I have a bad day and here's why and it's a 30-minute rant. Now my coworker that I barely know might be, I might look and be like, yeah, it's a rough day and that's all they're going to get. And it's okay not to be completely vulnerable, but I can be completely honest if that makes okay. sense. No, it does. And that meant, that's something... I'll probably try to take forward because that'll help me kind of what I'm navigating now. Yeah, and okay. it's hard to do because I'm pretty intense personality. So I think something I've had to learn is I, I'm either all in or all out of friendship. And so there's a there's a, a way to have friendship on a gradient where it's like these people are like this type of friend and a little bit closer and then a little bit closer. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So easier said than done, though. I like it. Thank you. I really appreciate that answer. Let's see. What do we got next? Uh, what do you find most attractive in another person? And I will hear, or like try to further explain. This is uh, not specifically to like a guy or girl. This is also not specifically just a physical thing. This okay. is, I've heard answers of uh, empathetic uh, confident, uh, leadership qualities, uh, like infectious personality. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things. Um, I've heard like also physical, yeah. uh, descriptions. Uh, so just to give you like that okay. idea. That's a hard one. I think like what is I something think- that like draws you into somebody? I think people that are like really curious people. Um, I've noticed all my friends are like kind of have an obsessive personality like me where they, they don't want to just know something on the surface level. They want to go deep. They want to understand it fully. They want to wrestle with these ideas. Um, And that's not just like intellectually like philosophy, but like it can be something in the arts. Like Joanna is going to know everything about flowers ever. And she jumped feet first into understanding everything about that. And then there's some people like my friend Leanna who wants to understand everything about whatever she's studying and counseling and therapy and philosophy. And so I really gravitate towards those really, I wouldn't say they're necessarily all all like the traditional intellectual, but it's these naturally curious minds, like these lifelong learners. Because I think too, I admire that in my family and that's things that I love about them. Like my mom's always getting more degrees. Um, I remember... I had this vivid memory when I was little of my grandfather and my mom, he was just talking to someone random on the street. Cause he does that sometimes. And my mom was like, one thing I love about him is that he's learned so much about so many things, not because it makes him smarter. Cause then he can get excited with someone else. And I love that. Like the idea that you can dive deep into these different subjects and not just so that you're smarter or to collect information, mm-hmm. but it allows you to enter other people's worlds yeah. more. Um, so I would think I would answer that. Gotcha. Yeah. 
And then second part of that question is, on a scale of one to 10, how do you rate yourself on that attribute? I think a five. Okay. Um, because I don't necessarily have the discipline to keep. Like, I think <laughs> I go for about a month. Um, like, I've, I think I told telling you before, like, I've been trying to new things every month and challenging myself to try something I'm kind of nervous about or something I've wanted to do and I've been scared to do. And it's kind of worked with my brain because about a month is about how long I can hold that right attention on span. And then I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a book. This is now done and I need to hop to something else. I like it. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, what is the most interesting fact or opinion uh, you've read or heard lately? I think one of the most interesting things that I've heard, and that was kind of like a mind-blowing thing for me for a counselor, is how new most of our information is about counseling. So okay. like one of the big things nowadays is they talk about the ACEs, which is this giant study that talks about different childhood experiences and how they affect you as an adult. And that really didn't start until the late 1900s. Our idea that the brain can change and we can rewire things is a newer idea. Um, even the fact that like trauma is not just something that happens in like war veterans is new. Okay. And I think that changed my mind because I have so many experiences and I can even do it myself where it's like, oh my gosh, my parents, A, B, and C, cause these traumas. Why don't they understand this is how kids' brains work? Why don't they... Mm -hmm understand me in this way why can't they see that this is a trauma or they're not meeting my needs and i'm like well, their understanding of the mind was not that right like when my moms had me their idea that trauma is happening starting in childhood and how deeply it shapes us was just starting to become like a really big deal right and then i'm holding them to these standards and so i remember listening to that i'm like oh my goodness we take we, our society is so obsessed with trauma and therapy and how to help people overcome that. But we don't realize how new of an idea that is. So then we hold these people to these unrealistic expectations. So what's common knowledge to us is not to them. Right. Um, and I think if I had known that, these were, would have been conversations I was having with my teenagers. Because they're all saying, they're like, my family's toxic. And so we don't need to talk. And it's like, no, they didn't no, have the yeah. information we did. So we worked on it. Um, so that's been pretty mind-blowing for me recently. And has softened my heart in so many ways towards older generations. Right. <laughs> because, okay, now imagine I have kids in the future and they're holding something over my head that I didn't know. That's terrifying. Right. I think I've always, the statement that has always made me grumpy and or agitated is like I don't have time to like learn that and that it's like I would say it usually comes from an older person but it's like yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty set in my ways like I'm gonna go do what I'm gonna do and I'm like I feel like that's a little bit ignorant because uh, I've seen it even with my dad and the discussions we've had about a lot of different topics but it's like the guy that I knew when I was like an infant and like teen years is a different guy than he is now. Yeah. Um, and that's just for us. I would say multiple conversations have with multiple people, but specifically I would say probably with me and his children in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's also the thing where 
you basically have uh, this was an analogy I heard of a relationship, but I think it applies to familial conversations in general. It's like you have a flat piece of land and now you have to build on it. Mm-hmm. And no one likes to do that. You would like to show up and the castle the castle's built out, you got all these sick rooms, you got all these different things. Like that's not how it works. Like you have a flat piece of land and now you have to lay a foundation. And that that maybe that's what you get done in a month or six months or a year. Yeah. You get a foundation. All right, cool. And then over the next six months to years, it's like, all right, we're going to add a tower. We're going to add a room. Like, you slowly build it. Yeah. And that's not fun. But, like, if you put in that work at the end of it, you'll have something to look at. Yeah. And I think I would expand on that analogy a little bit. I've never heard it before. I like that. I'm just going to process this a little out loud. (laughs) Um, I think, too, part of familial relationships, especially as an adult coming back into a family system, is what if you look at the house and you're like, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Like, this wall color is awful. It annoys, annoys me. We did the plumbing wrong. Right. We, this is all, the foundation's a little bit faulty. Okay. Well, if you want to stay in that home, you have to rebuild it. You have to knock it down. And half the family's going to be like, well, we live in here. What are you doing? <laughs> this is how we've always done it. Like, I understand that the plumbing doesn't work, but like, you that's know, way, if we, I mean, if we jiggle done. the um, handle of the toilet a couple times, it'll start to flush. Like, right. um, but you have to go in and rebuild. Um, like my family and I have had lots of conversations over the last like few years. Of so, my mom was sick for like five years, like bedridden from like when I was a teenager until I graduated. Okay, and so there's a lot of things my family did in survival mode. Not because my family is awful or my parents are bad, but like That's what called for. Yeah, there is nothing they can do when my dad's wife's bedridden. He's trying to provide for the family. He has three girls hitting puberty at the same time as a guy. And he's like, oh my goodness. And so we just built things hurriedly. And now okay. we're having to go back and be like, well, I, I think we need to do things differently. Yeah. I think we can redo and reno, renovate. And that's hard. It is. Yeah, there you go. I will say the one, this is all, it's an opinion, and it's my opinion. Okay. The one that I've had the most fun with lately is that I'm going back and rereading uh, childhood books. Yeah. And it's just making me laugh, like, how more meaningful those books are and how intelligent yeah. writers were. And that, like, you're reading, like, it was a fun story as a kid, and then yeah. you're rereading specifically some of these characters. Like, Damn. Okay, yeah, like, like yeah. I completely understand that, like wholeheartedly, and uh, that's something that's just been like I've been encouraging people. I'm like, because they'll ask me because I'll take books with me when I go to the hub, yeah, and I sit there for a while and I'll read. Because yeah. my favorite part is when I look up for my book, there'll usually always be like three or four people staring at me because I have this sign <laughs> at the table. Um, but on top of that, like it's given me an hour to like, all right, I'm gonna sit here and be still and not on my phone. I'm going to read into this. Yeah. It's been super fun. And that's so true. Like, I think I have been rereading the Narnia series. I always reread that series. I love it. That's what I'm doing now. I'm deeply obsessed. And there are times where I'm like rereading it and I'm like crying. Like, there's a scene (laughs) from Horse and the Boy and he's like talking. Oh, same. It like hits differently. And he's come back and he has to go back on another venture. And they're like, he didn't know. He was too young to understand that like getting through hard things doesn't mean it's over. It prepares you for even harder things. things. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like sitting there at a coffee shop, like slumped over, like face dropped. And they're like, Are you okay? This is a kid's book. I'm like, Yeah. That's how good authors were. It is. 
I, I was talking to a friend and I was like, I think I experienced more growth as a Christian teaching nursery than I did because I have to go back to the foundations, those key truths, those things that we forget are there. And you're like, oh my goodness, so true. Like, and you get that in storybooks of these simple ideas that are so impactful. They're the lessons that we want kids to learn to build them up. And getting back to that foundation is so healing. Right. <laughs> uh, what is a fact about you people wouldn't find on the internet? Oh, that's hard because I post everything on the internet. Oh, <laughs> which is something I'm trying to work on a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going. I don't think it's necessarily a fact, like like a cool fact about me. Yeah. But a like, piece of my personality, I think I present more extroverted and bubbly than I am. Okay. On social media and with just in social situations in general. Um, I've noticed just over the last couple of years how like quiet when I'm happy I am. And like how happy and relate when I'm really happy in a relationship, I'm quiet and I'm still and I'm very, very introverted. Um, and I don't come across that way. Um, and I didn't realize it until I've had multiple guys that have asked me on dates because they, we've been friends on social media and mm -hmm. they've been following me. And then they're a little bit confused by my personality because they're like, well, you just seemed so outgoing. And I'm like, no, no that's not true. I'm adventurous. But I wouldn't say I'm like the center of attention. I want to hold a ring. Right. Um, and that's been funny to see. And I didn't even realize it until they say something. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I seem a lot more not fun. I think I'm a fun person. Yeah. But like. Well, no, there is. Uh, so what immediately came to my mind is a friend of mine named Mary Cowart. Okay. And she says like her ability to know that you have. So she was saying, like, in talking of our, like, friendship, she's like, I know that we're at a great spot because I can, you and I could sit in the same room and not say a word, yeah. and I'd be perfectly fine. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know how to take that, but Mary is someone that, like, so the thing I always will laugh about Mary is, like, she has the ability to, like, she's the energy. So, like, when she shows up. Like, it's like bugs to a light. Like, yeah. everyone just wants to be around her. Everyone wants to talk to her hang out. But I've also seen those sides of her that, like, it's her and I on, like, a long trip or something like that. And she, like, relaxes. And she's yeah. like, oh, I don't have to carry the conversation. Or I don't have to carry the energy. And she yeah. just, like, relaxes, relaxes and, like, crashes. And so, like, it's fun to see, like, both sides of that with her. Yeah. I think the other thing would be is I'm partially deaf. And you can it's find that on nice. social media. Yeah. It is. Um, someone was asking about it. I'm like, why don't I wear my hearing aid? And my go-to response is, I just don't want to hear bullshit. So, um, but it also gives me a headache. But um, so that, I guess that's something. And so that's the other thing is people think I'm really outgoing. And I'm a, and one thing I get so nervous in parties is I'm not going to hear half the things you say. Yeah. So if we're in a room and you're talking to me and I'm like, not hearing a thing. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> Oh, and that it. always surprises people too. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you one thing we talked about. It was a good conversation. <laughs> uh, describe your most beautiful place. 
Well, that's a hard one. Yeah. So I've also had, I've had different answers. One is a moment in time. Another has been like a physical place and I've had everything in between. Yeah. I think, I think beauty is hard to define. Um, I mean, there's plenty of philosophy books uh, <laughs> that argue with it. But I think my experience of beauty is usually accompanied with a feeling of like peace and also like being present in the moment. And I think a specific time that I felt that is, so I was traveling in Europe. This is like 10 years ago, which makes me feel really old. I had, um, Basically, I'd been started off school at a small Baptist school, had been bullied a lot, was not fitting in, had lost myself, was questioning a lot about Christianity. And I ended up backpacking with an old childhood friend um, through Europe. And so part of that trip is I had called my mom like a week before this, and I told her, I'm sorry, I'm dropping out of school. I didn't have a cell phone, so I used a hotel phone and then just hung up and then just didn't address it. Um, which Savage. is probably one of the most brutal things I've done in that relationship with my mom. And I felt really good about that decision. And I remember afterwards, I'm starting to feel peace. Like I can move on, like I'm going to start anew. And I was walking through Belgium and we're, there's this clock tower we had climbed up and we're climbing down and there's just this cello player playing. And I sat there probably for two hours. And I felt so at peace. It was beautiful. Like my biggest regret in life is that I didn't buy his CD because it was $5. And I was like, I'm broke. It is still haunts me to this day. Um, I think about it at least once a month. Like I should have, like, I can imagine like if I had that sad CD, one, he probably wasn't as good as I think about it. Right. <laughs> Nostalgia really does exaggerate things. But two, I think I would still enjoy listening it when I have bad days. Remember, everything's going to be okay. And then I think something I run to consistently is I love stargazing. Love it. Like when I'm having a bad day, I will drive into Arkansas and just sit on the side of the road and stargaze. Um, I had a woman in Wales one time tell me like, it's so important to always sit on the, um, sit in, on the edge of something bigger than you. And I think that describes that experience. Okay. Um, I always just feel calm. Like I remember as a kid, just like literally laying on the dock like, I don't care, like, how late it is, just laying there staring at the stars being like, wow, this is so cool. Um, and it always makes me feel better. And I don't think I will ever look at it and not have a sense of awe and wonder around it. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that would be my answer. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? I think, oh, I, I think my younger self had heard it. I think we talked about this before. I think I was given a lot of good advice as a kid, but this would be something I wish I had heard um, because I'm like a carbon copy of my mom in a lot of ways. So I feel like she had given me this advice and I hadn't heard. I think there would be two parts. One, a reason is not an excuse. Um, and I've come to realize that as a counselor and as someone who naturally sits with people in pain is like, just because they're in pain doesn't mean they're not hurting you. Um, so I think as someone who's naturally really intuitive in my field is understanding where they're coming from. So I can look at someone hurting me and being like, they're angered. They're, they've lost someone they love. They're in trauma. 
it's okay for them to hurt. Mm-hmm. Like I understand. And that's not true. Just because you're in pain doesn't mean you don't have responsibility for the hurt that you put out. Um, and it's actually not helpful for people when, or yourself, when you save them from the consequences of their own actions. Um, and I think that would have saved me a lot of heartache. Um, I have actually been like journaling a lot about like patterns that I do in relationship. And one thing that I've realized is when I look at them, I'm usually the last person holding on to that friendship. They've probably lost a lot of their other friends. And there's a sweetness to that. And I think there is something about sitting in pain. But I think part of the reason I'm the last one there is because I'm ignoring my own needs in that relationship. Okay. Um, and a lot of those relationships could have been saved if I've been like, yeah, you're hurting me. Like, I told a kid this the other day. He had an awful, awful childhood. And he's now really angry. And I was sitting down with him. And I'm like, you like superheroes? And like, yeah, I'm like, do you like supervillains? He's like, no. And I was like, well, they have the same story, which is that they're both born in pain. What's different is what they would choose to do with the pain. Are you going to continue lashing out? Are you going to continue um, blaming others? Or are you going to take responsibility and choose to make the world different than what you experienced? And that's a hard thing to tell someone. I Like, if you sit with um, victims of abuse, to look at someone and be like, I know you're angry, but lashing out's not gonna help. Like it stinks that someone who's experienced something, they have to bear the um, yeah, burden of forgiveness. Of yeah, the person who did it doesn't. Right. They do. They have to carry it. And there's so much I'm so glad there's so much information about trauma and how it affects our brains. And I think it gives us grace to understand where they are, but it's not helping someone if we leave them where they are and being like, yeah, your anger, that your bitterness, that is self-destructing your life around you. I understand it. So we're not going to touch it. Mm -hmm. That's not loving, but it seems harsh to be like, well, we need to do something different. Come on, let's keep moving. And you see the pain you cause when you're asking them to do that, but pain doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Right. Um, So I think that's something I would teach myself. I wish I understood sooner. The second is you can be equally supportive without being equally involved. And I remember a pastor told me that and my mind was like blown. And what I mean by that is there's some relationship in your life that it's not healthy for you to continue in. You're not bringing out the best in each other. Like you're like, I don't not going to stay best friends with everyone in my life, but that doesn't mean I can't want the best for them. Right. Still pray over them. And I think it checks me both ways. One, I think it keeps me from staying in relationships that are not good for either one of us just because they're in pain and I don't want to be a bad person and abandon them. But on the other end, I think it checks me because sometimes you can leave a relationship, villainize them and be like, I don't want the best for them. I think they're the worst. So it's like, I want to stay soft. I want to rejoice when you have good things happen to you, but I also think I'm safer over here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think those are the two things. And I don't think relationships should be broken lightly. I'm not saying that. I think there's a um, really strong idea nowadays that you just walk away from relationships because they're hard. But those are the relationships where you look at them and you're like, are we leading each other towards Christ? Are we helping each other grow? 
are we um, bettering one another? And if the answer is no, and you're still having conversations and it's not growing, then it might be time to walk away. So gotcha. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it all. does. Um, well, I guess in that instance, what I'm trying to think is like, you, what if you also have friends where like, I guess you're both, you're not necessarily growing, but you're both like in the same spot in terms of like the way you deal with things. Yeah. And so like, that's probably not a good thing because you're the way you're dealing with it's not a great thing, but you found somebody like that deals with it the same way. Like what yeah. would you say to like someone in that situation? Um, one, <clears throat> I think relationships are fluid. Um, I don't think walking away always means that that friendship's over for good. Um, I've had friendships where it's like, Oop, both of us are kind of bringing out the worst in each other. We take six months apart and we come back and we're better for it. Um, and two, growth doesn't have to be big. Um, it doesn't have to be these leaps and bounds. Um, but there are people that, so example I would give is like, I love Joanna deeply and I'm going to explain like she does things well, which is like, she holds me accountable when I'm in pain. So if I'm getting gossipy, if I'm getting bitter, if I'm getting, um, I'm running back towards like addictions and things I've been in recovery for, like she's not going to let me slide that back. But there are some friends that we cope in the same way and it's not going to be healthy. Okay. Um, <clears throat> like one in like particular I was thinking is like I was in a lot of pain um, like last year and my friendships, every time I left conversations with them, I was like, yeah, the world's, the world's awful. Um, there's no hope. I got started getting really, really bitter. There was no edification towards Christ. We were both Christians, but we both became really hateful after we talked, when we talked to each other, we just fed off each other's negativity. And you start to have multiple conversations of like, this is not at one. I don't think we're helping each other grow. And they're not listening. They're saying like, well, this is how I am in pain. And I think that would be more of what I'm talking about. I gotcha. And I don't think you just walk away just because you're not growing. I think you give people a chance to grow with you and you start having honest conversations with them. Um, and it's after multiple honest conversations, if they're not growing with you, that you're like, okay, this might not be the best for either one of us. Um, that makes sense at all. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, what is one thing that has been on your mind most lately? It kind of ties in very similarly uh, to what we talked about is what to do with pain. Um, I've had a similar question. Yeah, what to do with it. Um, so vulnerability here. Um, 28 was a rough year for me. Um, when people ask about it, my casual way is saying it's, it was a cleansing year. Okay. Um, I, one was a counselor, a new counselor and the amount of trauma and horrors that I listened to on a daily basis was astounding. Like things that I couldn't even imagine exist in the world. I'm now sitting in on a daily basis. Um, my dad got a really, um, not great heart diagnosis. He was diagnosed with an incurable heart disease. 
Um, at that point, we thought he had months to live. Um, he's in a little better better place now. We're in a clinical trial, but it was it was not good. Okay. Um, I had a really chaotic boss. Um, I had all my friends get married at once, which put me in a really lonely state um, because my friendships I've known for mostly, most of my friends I've known for 20 years. And it went from us being each other's confidant to them when they have a bad day, call their husband. When I have a bad day, I call them. And, oh, that feels vulnerable when they're not relying on me like I rely on them. Um, had some real weird problems with the church and trying to figure out where I belong. I was church hopping. And I just got really, really, really bitter. Um, and, you know, you enter, I entered 29 being like, the world's just a crappy place and I don't want to deal with it. Like, what do you do with a God that says he's love? He's not answering my prayers. Right. Um, what if the life he has given me is helping others in a way that I will never be helped myself? Um, what if my job, I've been in 14 weddings, and what if my job, most of them made of honor, is to create space to celebrate others for things they're getting that God will never give me? Um, and the, even on that one, I can be like, oh, that's a silly prayer request. It's not heavy. But what happens when the kid's being abused that I love and no one will take them from the home and actually me reporting made it worse? What do you do with that? Right. Um, and what I realized is, one, I think the Bible's equipped to handle that. Um, one thing I have to remind myself is like the pain I see, it's like, first of all, the, Christ, the cross is big enough to handle all of that and he defeated all of that. And it is arrogant too to think that God loves it less than I do. So if I'm looking at it and crying, imagine the loving father doing right. that, he's perfect. Um, so there has to be a level of trust there. And I think the other thing that I realized is I was becoming so consumed with pain and evil that it's all I saw. Um, I think there's a reason we are called to focus on what is good and true and noble and right. I think there's a reason we are called to, in everything, pray with thanksgiving. Not because the pain doesn't go, it goes away magically. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to look at my dad dying and being like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. This is, this is good. No, Christ looks on that and sees brokenness. I look at it and see brokenness. But one, I have the responsibility not to perpetrate more sin just because I'm hurting. Right. Um, two, I think one thing I've done to try to cope with it is not try to take the pain away. Um, I don't think we always get the answers to pain. Uh, most of the time in the Bible, the answer is not given. Or if it is, it's like, why are you questioning? Like, I'm good. I right. got this. Um, so if he's not going to just take away the pain, if he is not going to give me an answer and why, okay, so now what do I do to live with this pain? And there's this theory in grief and loss that I'm going to have to describe it because it's a podcast. Man, this is hard because I like to draw pictures. Okay, so there's this box and that's our life, okay? okay? And there's a ball, which is something painful that happened, something bad that happened. 
And every time it hits this button inside the wall of the box, you feel pain, okay? okay. When you first experience a loss or a tragedy, that's all you experience. It takes up the whole box. Like Viktor Frankl describes pain as like a gas that fills your entire essence. Okay. Like, but most people get stuck there. And that's all they let their life be is that pain. But when you start to look for the, the good in your life with it, you can start to expand that box. Now, does the pain or the bad thing get smaller? No, it's the same size. But your life expands around it so that the box is bigger and it's not always touching that pain button. Okay. Um, and you do that by trying to find the good. Um, I think something that's really changed how I experience pain with God is I am praying over everything, not just the big stuff. Because what I've realized is he's answered so many prayers. And I just wasn't seeing it because he wasn't answering this prayer over here. Um, and I think that's helped me see God's presence in my life in a really impactful way. Okay. So I think the first thing you do when God's not answering is being like, well, he's not here. I mean, he's all powerful. He could fix this. He's not here. Right. I think that's a lie. And so as you pray, like, I've realized, like, I had an awful day a couple weeks ago. And I was like, I'm just really lonely, Lord. And I don't know if this is a life that I want to have. Like, I don't feel like I have friends. I don't feel like I am being supportive. I don't know if I could do this for 50 more years. And then suddenly Bob calls me. He's like, you want to get drinks? And I'm like, now? And he's like, yeah, now come with drinks with me now. So Kevin, Bob, and I went and got drinks. There it is. And for these days where I'm like, Lord, I don't feel your presence. Like, where are you? Where's the good and the beauty? And you walk outside and there's this beautiful sunset. Um, or someone reaches out that you didn't expect. And those are the little moments we can often brush aside if all we're focusing on is the negative. Like right. God provides the daily bread. He doesn't necessarily give us enough stockhold to survive the next five months, but he gives us those little daily bread, these little things of good, reminding us that he's there. Um, there's this idea that our brain is kind of like a field. It's like an un, like we talked about with the like house, like our mm -hmm. mind is kind of like a field and it's untrimmed. It's just, you'd walk in nature and it's there. And how we choose to respond to pain, it's set in stone. So I realized what I was doing is I'm over here. And let's say um, that like self-pity I have is over here. Every time I experience pain, I walk this path. Every time you walk it, that grass gets a little bit more matted um, until there's no grass growing at all. So that's an automatic response. When I have something bad, I'm like, God's not here. God's not listening. And that's not where I wanted to end up. So I have to start making a new path. Is it easy? No, because I have to pause and think, is this where I want to be going? Is this how I want my thoughts to be running to? And it's like, no. So I'm going to have to walk over here and there's these ticks and snakes and things along the way because it's a new path. Right. But eventually you can start to retrain your brain to see good. And again, it's not taking away the pain, but instead it's making sure it's not all you're focusing on. Right. There's also um, 
I can't believe I'm forgetting this guy's name. He's the Punisher, and he's in Walking Dead. John Bernthal. Uh, John Bernthal has a podcast, and he had a statement. Well, actually, I think it was Shia LaBeouf that was on his podcast that said pain is an adhesive. And it, yes, there is pain that is crippling, and if you focus on it solely, uh, it can crush you. The positive side of it is that it's an adhesive and that when someone is in that similar pain, you can connect. Like yeah. You can be like, hey, I've been there. Like I understand yeah. what that is. And it can be beautiful. It can, it be, can like, be beautiful. And that's like the hope of the gospel <clears throat> is I think we can think like, oh, we need to make this have deep meaning. Like if my dad passes away, I'm not going to look at that and be like, oh my gosh, look at this meaning making. But instead it can be like God can take something bad and that's hopeless and redeem it. It doesn't make this pain any less real. It doesn't mean I'm going to look at it and be like, I'm so glad this happened but instead you'll look at me like at least god can use it for his glory right um and the last thing i've had to like shift my mindset around is like god has been so patient with um the evil in the world not because he doesn't hate it but one he's outside of time and i think that's important but two i'm so thankful when he's patient with my evil i am so patient when he is thankful with or, or not thankful, he's patient with me when I hurt other people, when I contribute to the sin in the world. Like, I'm part of the problem, too. Right. And I'm so thankful that he waited for me to be saved. And there are other people he is waiting to save, that he is gathering to his kingdom. And there's a little bit of hope in that. And then the last thing is, I think our Western minds try to understand things in a logical way. And I think there's a piece of God and how he's working that we won't understand. And I have to trust that. And it's not easy. I think a lot of my prayers have been like, Lord, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. But I have to trust. That that's what faith is. My mom, when she got sick, got this tattoo which was so funny because my dad's Baptist and doesn't believe in tattoos and he got it matching with her, which nice. I thought it was just the most horrifying it thing It all goes ever. out the door. Yeah. Things get I was real. like, now when he gets mad at my tattoos, I'm like, I can't say anything. He's like, well, my wife was dying at the time. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of looks like the Deathly Hallows, like the Grim, the, um, it's a triangle mm -hmm. with a circle in it. And you look at it, and one of her grief books talked about, you look at it, and you're like, how on earth did these fit together? On a 2D, like, dimension, you can't. They don't fit. But from a 3D point of view, they make a cone. It makes sense. It yeah. fits together perfectly. So there's also this trust piece of, like, I'm looking at this 2D way. I'm trusting that God has a bigger picture in mind and that somehow it fits together. Um, so that's what I've been thinking about because – as a counselor, I see so much. Um, and I think watching people get abused, watching the, like literally the worst in society happening that most people don't know exist can make me assume that there's no hope. And I think there's always hope. I think God's working in ways that we can never imagine. And just like I want to save people, so does he. Right. Now, am I going to understand why he saves some people and not others? 
Probably not. Right. But I know he's there in it somewhere. Really pretty. Uh, what holds you back from being the person you want to be? Um, discipline. <laughs> Just like months long disciplines. Yeah. Um, I'm not disciplined at all. Um, I have been starting to go to the gym more consistently. Um, and I've had to do it. So I had a pretty severe eating disorder until a couple years ago, and I went into recovery for that. And so the gym's been my like my last big trigger that I've had to face. I've just like, okay, I just need to show up every day yeah. and keep going and keep connecting to my body. But man, those people that go consistently every day at 6 p.m., that is never going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had to like work around where it's like, it's nine o'clock at night. I'm like, okay. I still need to go, so I'm going to go now. Okay. So I had to join a 24-hour gym just because I'm so chaotic yeah. as a human. Um, I think that's one reason why, like, most of my friends are really rigid and very structured because I'm not, and I'm like, I need that over here to structure my life. Um, so I think discipline's a big one. Um and I think the other one is expectations. I think my personality type can live in my head and build things up way bigger than they are. Okay. And then reality is not that. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'm not doing that. Instead of being like, okay, no, we need to stay. This is still good. Um, so I think those are the two big things. Um, but I'm, in both cases, it's because I'm really driven by emotions and it's so that's so good, but usually our strongest personality trait is both our strength and our weakness. Gotcha. So, yeah, I think those are the two big things. I like it. All right, and then the last one I have is, uh, who are you really? Who is the who is behind the mask you show the world? I think that kind of goes back to like the social media. I yeah. think I'm a lot more grounded and serious. Um, then I come across and part of it is a mask part of it is my face does not show a lot of emotion outside of happiness okay and I like even today so I'm with a coworker in the hallway okay and I'm trying to think through like how to get these different kids from different classes and coordinate it and I'm like kind of scrunching my face a little bit and she like called my name she's like Miss Maddie and I look and she's like whoa are you okay I've never not seen you not smile and it was so funny to hear because I'm like, I've been so stressed out this year. Right. Like, this is a new job. I felt overwhelmed. I feel like I've not been my bubbly self. And no, my face just, it really is hard for me to frown. Okay. Um, and it's been funny. I think that's come up a lot in like dating relationships because I'm like looking at someone like, I'm really angry at you. And there's a huge, huge smile on the face. And they're like, uh what i'm like right. yeah i'm like infuriated right now <laughs> and they're like you you don't look and i'm like i know the more stressed i get the happier my face looks and i know that's really confusing but like i need you to hear me like, okay <laughs> um and i think that's something i've had to like i'm trying to work on bringing to the forefront is like i think i can try to make myself bubbly and happy and accommodating to make people more comfortable but again, that's not a relationship if I'm not putting all my cards on the table. Right. That's them getting what they like they think is me. That's not them getting me as a human being. 
and that's not fair to them or me. Um, yeah, and I think it also comes out because I, I remember I had this conversation with this guy I was dating one time, and it was so funny. I was with um, his friends, and I was really bubbly and outgoing, and I got back to his house, and I was like, oh, my goodness, okay. And I just sat in, like, silence, and it was the first time. It was, like, a new relationship, and he's like, are you okay? Like, are you mad at me? Like, I'm like, oh, no, I, I'm just being myself. Right. He's like, well, you were just so engaging over there. I'm like, he's like, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, no, sorry, right. I'm working on it. Like, that was me performing. This is me now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, that, that's all I got. That Am I allowed to ask you questions? Uh, that I was going to... Uh, so when I get to the end, that is usually my spiel, is that thank you for answering those questions, especially like especially in that middle section. I really love a lot of those beautiful thoughts. Um, yeah, I then offer the same to you. It's like I just asked you some fairly intimate, serious questions, and so I will gladly answer any questions you ask of me. Okay. Um, I think one of the biggest questions I have is like, what's something that you've heard talking to these new people? So you, this is people you've known for a while, reconnect with, or strangers. What's something that you've heard that's really shifted how you think in the span of this podcast? Because it's been a few months, right? Yeah, it started in like September, I think, when I started it. Um, I think it's the biggest thing that I've taken away from it is like I've, I've said the statement, every person is unique and they can teach you something. It becomes more and more evident with, man, it'd take forever to explain this. Uh, it becomes more and more evident when I hear the answers to these questions, when I see how they deal with stress or pain or loss in their life, uh, what they're going through now and how that affects their day-to-day -day lifestyle. Yeah. Like, it's just one of those things where it's just like, the thing that blows my mind is like the number of people you see in a day. Yeah. And on top of that, what each like created being is going through. Yeah. Like blows my mind. It's yeah. like right now there were, right now there's not many. There's like three or four people in here right now. <laughs> but at one point there was like 10. Yeah. Each one of those people, I could have that same conversation that we just had, or I could do a podcast with each of them, and they have this, they have a whole life. They have mm -hmm. all these other pains and joys and questions and pursuits, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a book, like it's a beautiful story that yeah. like, I can't wait to hear about, but it just reminds me, like, man, each person's really, like, it's crazy. Like, it's yeah. just like, you're going to hear all these different ways you can have similar pains or you can have similar circumstances but the way you went about it the way i went about it the way we're going about it now yeah vastly different and the way like some people get stuck in certain areas some people continue to move on and teach me how to move on from that specific area yeah um like in this conversation like specifically um kind of how i to adequately use that pain or discomfort that you experience healthily and like how you develop that new path yeah um Cause like that's a big thing for me right now like i've changed up um schedule like i'll say schedule but just like life in general and some decisions that i'm pursuing now um trying to figure out like how how to work like i'm creating a new path yeah and there's a lot of moments where i'm like what the fuck 
am I doing? Yeah. Uh, like, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Um, but then there are glimpses, there are moments where I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm on a good path. I'm on, yeah. I'm on the right one. There's a lot of snakes and there's a lot of bugs. <laughs> there's a lot of roots to catch my feet. But there are also glimpses where I'm like, oh, this path is prettier. Like, there is, there's beauty to it. Yeah, but it's so hard when, like, I think there's this misconception that I had growing up that if it was God's will, it'd be easy and good and all these open doors and sunshine. And I'm like, no, half the nope. time the things that God calls me to are, like, really hard. And I'm like, think about, like, Moses, who's like, you you want me to talk in front of Pharaoh? Like, I'm not equipped. Like, right. you should go to Aaron. Like, he, he's better he's at good. this. Like, no, he, the things we're called to is often a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's Moses, and like there's just there's so many things. Like I just look at scripture so differently now, and even when you're talking about like the beauty that the Lord can produce out of sin or evil, is something like makes me laugh. It's like in the line of Christ is David and Solomon, and you're like that doesn't make any sense. You're telling me right now like the Savior or the Messiah comes from the line. Yeah. That this guy that you said was a person after your own heart committed adultery, yeah. had that child, and that's the line we're going uh-huh. with. Murder. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All that is there. Like, that exists, and that's in that line. Um, and so that's just something, like, if you, like, I blow in my mind where I'm like, all right, like, I still should take everything serious and, like, to my best ability, understand what the Lord wants me to do with it. But it's also a comfort where I'm like, all right, whatever you're wanting to happen, it's going to happen. Like, whatever yeah. you want to happen, it's going to happen. And I feel comfortable with that. Yeah. Like, it brings some peace to me. Yeah. I love that. I think the second question I have, and I'm just kind of curious, because I have watched my friends become parents and mothers and recently become a dad. What's something that that's brought out in you that you weren't expecting. Like you entered a new role. It's like entering a new job or a new phase of life and we get experience ourselves and be pushed in new ways that we didn't expect. And or sometimes it highlights things where we're like, oh, I want to work on this because I don't want my son to or my daughter to see me struggle with this or follow my footsteps in this area. Right. Um, something I knew existed in my life and I knew... I've worked on I've worked on a long time, especially since I got married. I started working on is um, my threshold for stress. Um, like I can't even. Uh, it's really it's hard to explain, and this is also coming from a first world. Like I have money to take care of my family, like a loving wife and a loving son two fun puppies and great family, no sickness or anything serious, but I've reached such depths of, I'll call it sadness, but just like emptiness of just like, I'm in a room, I'm not here at all. Like, I'm not thinking about anything, but it's just like, there's a casing right now. Yeah. There's no... Like, I, it is all autopilot, just I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. Uh, what I need to do. You're just so spread uh, thin that you just show, you're showing up, you're there, but you're like, I have no capacity to do anything else. Nothing, like, at all. Um, and that's just like, and that's the, 
finding ways to figure out how to get back to normal is what's been difficult. Not difficult, but uh, um, but trying to find like your yeah, way trying back to, to normal. find so like, and I've done so many different things. Um, so one big one was to so I have a it's not a problem. I have an inability to be around. If Walker and Allison are in the vicinity, I, there's not. I don't have this meditative state that I, I can go to. Yeah. Or like this recharge that like I know I'm able to do, but if they're like in the vicinity, like it can't me go. I can't go out to the backyard, sit down, and be calm. Yeah. Because I know I could, especially if Walker's being like not difficult, but like he's maybe he's not fussy, feeling well or he's fussy. Or like he's I can baby. be. I can be inside and helping Allison and so it's like this weird dichotomy and so like one was um talking about my friend Mary her and her roommates have a house in Cooper Young and they have this front porch that I enjoy sitting on yeah so like I would text all three of them like like I, Walker would go down to sleep Allison would start to kind of like relax and go watch uh Wheel of Fortune or something like that I'm like hey yeah. I'm gonna go sit on the porch and uh like maybe have a couple beers or something like that. Yeah. Just listen to music and just like space. Uh, and then like I'd have moments where either like Mary or Grace, or Grace also lives there, um, come sit out and like I'm able to like I would say like thought dump. I guess is the best way to explain it. Yeah. So it's like I can externally process it what I'm trying to do and then get back to some kind of like normal. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going ready to go. Yeah. Which is helpful because it would work. Like I would yeah. leave that situation feeling great. I'd be like, all right, I'm restored. I'm back to hundred percent. Cool. Um, but then I also now in the same, I'm like, all right, how, like I'm trying to figure out how to bring that home. Like how do I not, how can I be in that area? and get that same kind of cons or same kind of restoration but also if like if Allison or someone needed me immediately like I could yeah um so i'm still working on that it's uh, so hard again it's like that path you have to like retraining your brain to react to a situation in a different way is so hard because it's like half of our brain what goes on is just like we it's involuntary and it's how our brain is wired. And you're like, okay, how do I rewire this? What do I do about that? Right. Um, so I don't know what that is. And I would say something that's been like specific of mine is that like sitting down and having conversations with Allison that like I'm trying to state things now that I think initially I was scared to talk about. I'm five mm -hmm. years into marriage, by the way, and yeah. I was still scared to talk about some things with Allison because it's like I know – what's going on in both of our lives. And yeah. I'm trying to articulate this in a way and say, this is not you. This is not Walker. My brain is screwing up right now and yeah. I don't know how to fix it. Like I'm in this state and I don't know, I've never been here. This is uncharted territory for me. And so I'm trying to figure out yeah. how to move past it or not move past it. How do I work through right. it? So then as these things come back, which I know they usually do, it's like I'm, I now know the steps or I know yeah. somewhat of the fight that's going to be there to work through. Yeah. But it's so hard, I think, 
fun things in a relationship that like has been really hard for me because I'm super conflict avoidant, like super people, people pleasing. And it's like, if they do something black and white wrong, I'm willing to have that fight. But if it is a fight because of a difference of needs or something that's just a feeling that's bubbling up inside of me or a difference of expectations or my anxiety or depression coming up, it's like, well, I don't want to fight about that because it doesn't seem like there's a clear solution or they might think that I'm mad at them or there's something wrong. But it's like, I've had to like retrain my mind and so hard. Like there's this, um, there's this psychologist. He's so cool. Um, sorry about that. No, you're um, good. So John Gottman and he studied marriages and he did it through this study where he just had all these, it sounds creepy, but like couples stay in an Airbnb and he watched them. Okay. And he, like couples that fought well were ones that externalized the problem. Like this is us working together towards a problem. And that's so hard to do because I always think it's like an us, me versus them, or they're going to take it as a me versus them, or I don't want to be, again, you know what they're going through, so I don't want to stress them out more. Right. It's so hard. It really is. That's how I think that's uh, the thing that I'm the, I feel like my biggest battle will be with, say anger, but I feel like frustration would be the answer. It's like, I think the biggest thing for me right now is that I don't, my dad has a beautiful gift of like completely loving on others and pursuing mm -hmm. them and like wanting the best for them. Yeah. But I'm trying to figure out where the mix is of how do I be a disciplinarian? Cause my dad's told me, he's like, in terms of this radar of friend and disciplinarian, I fell on the up, like on the farthest end of disciplinarian because it's like yeah. I just I couldn't have you mess up. The thing that sucked there is that yes, I was like he disciplined and like I feel like I've done fairly well in life and made some great decisions. At from like the age of sixteen on, I didn't want to go talk to my dad about anything, so I didn't have yeah. Like, the only time my dad heard anything is if it was code red, like, something's about to happen, and you just, yeah. like, I'm going to let you know now. This is a Hail Mary. Right. I'm, like, having <laughs> all other resources are depleted. Right. Okay, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Your health. Um, but it's something that's, like, I, my dad's, which, I mean, that was what the what he grew up in, is that, like, my dad is able to, like, vehemently yell and like be in a situation but then like the next day you wake up like it just it doesn't even like phase yeah. my dad and i got that side of my mom and me that like no that thing sticks like yeah. what we just said and the way you said it will replay in my brain forever like yeah like i've told my dad like just different instances where i'm like it's like you need to understand like i can remember some good things but yeah. the things that predominantly run back into my brain are these specific moments um, that I always love every parent's answer. is like, I don't remember doing that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's but it did fine. happen. But it I'm did happen. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that it did happen. Um, so it's the thing that I'm like, not necessarily the most scared about, but it's just like, I don't want Walker to think that it's okay to, because anger in itself is not a bad thing. Like it's a way that you can drive. Is there's a way that like if you have a passion in your life, it is a way to drive towards like that passion. Like it is like yeah, it's like it's it's a gift from God, but it has to be used correctly. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, 
So just working on that and that in the times that I'm frustrated, I don't make the area around me eggshells. Like that was probably the biggest thing for me. It's like I never, I couldn't tell you the last time I felt comfortable. It's better now, but like, especially during college and like high school, like I never felt super comfortable walking into my house. Yeah. Like it was always like my, or there was always a, all right, what's going on? Yeah. I need to know situational wise where we are. So do I need to just be in my room for a time? Do I need to yeah. like be outside, like that kind of stuff? Um, I will say that's also what has honed my skill with emotional intelligence is that I'm hyper aware of other people. And like, I would say even with you, like you and I haven't seen each other in a while, but even with you smiling, there are small things that like I notice in people yeah. that my immediate question is like, hey, what's happening? Or like, hey, can you like, you want to talk about stuff? Yeah. Um, and so like, that's, it's, it's a cool, like there, that was a cool outcome. I kind of like of all those things, but that's been the biggest thing that's on my mind when thinking about raising Walker. It's like, how do I start to build the process that looks at least healthy? It's like, hey, anger is something that happens, but it does not justify you lashing out on somebody and then asking for forgiveness later. It's like, no, yeah. you, in the moment, you, what you knew you were doing was incorrect, and it doesn't excuse it. So it's one of the things yeah. that you were talking about earlier. It's like, you still got to live with the consequences, dude. Yeah. Like, you got to understand that they're there and how you go about these things. And it's such a heavy role, like, it actually like terrifies me about like becoming a parent of like does me too i'm in it yeah it like terrifies oh me. my goodness like i'm responsible for the development of the kid's brain and how they talk to themselves and how they view the world and i want to keep this child around as long as possible and protect them like but what do i do about my sin nature coming into play right and like is that going to hurt them is it going to damage them is there something outside of my control and that's terrifying to think about right. it really is I, yeah, can't imagine. Well, do you have any more questions for me? No, I think that's it. Okay. Well, Madeline, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate Anytime. it. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, of course. All right, guys. Well, I think that's it. See you. <laughs>